basically the whole Bible this semester. Uh, if that seems a little overwhelming to you, you have no idea what it's doing to me. Uh, but we're looking at God's grand story. And uh, my contention is that the Bible tells one big, grand, epic story while telling many stories. And uh, we, in the first two weeks, have dealt with some really heavy things. Would anybody agree that the last two weeks, especially last week, was pretty heavy? Just me? Okay, a few of you. I thought it was really heavy. Um, why everything is beautiful. Why the world is wonderful. Why and how God made things. And then, last week, why everything's broken. And how broken it is. All the fractures, all the guilt, all the shame and frustration. Yeah, that was heavy. Uh, what I want to do this week is uh, something a little different. A little lighter. A little faster. And a bit of an overview. We're going to move a couple chapters ahead in Genesis. And uh, look actually at two stories. Two stories that move the narrative along, that move the one big story along, while at the same time, I think, describing what's going on in the world today. Two stories that are going on in the Bible, in chapter 11, that are still going on today, still. So I'm going to start reading in Genesis chapter 11, and then read a little bit more in 12. Okay, 11 and 1. Now the whole earth had one language, in the same words, and all the people migrated from the east... Excuse me, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let's build a city for ourselves and a tower with its top in the heavens, lest we be dispersed. Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing will, that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now skipping down to verse 27. These are the generations of Terah. He fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Aaron fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. And Sarah was barren. She had no children. So Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his granddaughter, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me if you like. Great Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would show us wonderful things in it. And uh, be gracious to show us yourself and to press the good news of the gospel into reality in our hearts, we pray. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So uh, I was watching this video recently. Uh, it was a guy basically doing an experiment. And the question he was asking is, what's the fastest way to 
across Beijing, this incredibly impressive city. The distance he was trying to cover was 6.2 miles, and the experiment was this. He, uh, he got the fastest car that he could for the experiment, which was a uh, brand new $348,000 Porsche Panamera GTS. I'm not a car guy. Some of you probably uh, have posters on this and you drool over it. I hope not, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, zero to 100 in about four and a half seconds is insanely fast. Uh, but he chose a $1,700 bicycle. Now, Shanghai, it's not a third world country by any stretch of the imagination, but biking across the city is incredibly dangerous. Tons of traffic, and the air, the air quality is absolutely terrible. Uh, you know, if, if you don't know much about urban travel, you would think, well, the Porsche is going to win this by a, a landslide. Um, and despite the protection, not having protection in the bike, and all the poor air quality, uh, they raced, and uh, the bike clocked in at 31 minutes. And it took the Porsche 55 minutes to cross town due to traffic and general urban madness that exists in Shanghai. Um, or maybe it was Beijing. I think it was Beijing. Anyway, uh, i tell you that to tell you this. The world is a broken mess. It's a beautiful place, but it's a broken mess. And uh, sometimes as we're approaching life, we're just trying to figure out how to get through it. How do I navigate through this world with as little trouble and as much happiness as I possibly can? If we're really ambitious, we may actually be asking ourselves as we go, how do I fix this broken mess? But most of us are just trying to get through it. Maybe not as fast as possible, but as easily as possible. And generally, there are two approaches that this story, these two stories give us. And there are two approaches that are still available today. Uh, This is sort of a tortoise and a hare kind of thing. Very much so. Uh, One way looks glorious, sexy, fun, and everybody's doing it. And the other one looks slow and implausible and dangerous and uh, prone to failure. That's the two stories we have in front of us. And the two ways, there are more ways, but two large ways we have of trying to get through life here. It shouldn't surprise you that the last one, the slow, implausible, maybe it's going to fail, no one seems to be doing it, is God's way. It's God's way. And uh, sometimes it's so slow and perhaps so unpopular that as you look at it and wait for it, you may actually look around and say, is anything happening? Is this actually really a thing? Are we sure God's actually doing something? Because nothing seems to be happening. Are, Are you... Are you sure you're not just wasting your time and you're not waiting for something that doesn't really exist? Because I don't, I don't see it. And you may wonder, does God still care? Is he still at work? Does he care about this world at all? So tonight we're going to look at these two stories, which are two ways of going about life in this world. And uh, when, we, when we do so, I think you're going to see that despite appearances to the contrary, that God is still out to redeem the world. God still has a plan for the whole world, despite what we may think. So, pretty simple tonight. Two-point sermon, two stories. Uh, the Human Glory Project, that's the first story. And the second one is God's Gracious Plan. So, the Human Glory Project in chapter 11 is uh, pretty ambitious. A lot has happened since chapter 3. We were in chapter 3 last week. That was a terrible mess. There was a fall, if you remember. It was fractured, and Humpty Dumpty couldn't be put back together again. We talked about that. 
Uh, and since then, lots of things have happened. Lots of people have been born. Lots of people have moved out. Lots of people have died. The text makes a point of that. Lots of people have been murdered. Lots of bad things have happened while humanity and civilization grows. Uh, but in chapter 11, we come to a place where uh, mankind is at its best and worst. They're unified in purpose, but uh, their heart's not in the best of places, nor has it been for a very long time. And uh, the Human Glory Project starts when these people come into the land of Shinar, which is near, I think, Babylon. And uh, they say to themselves in verse 3, hey, let's make a city. They've probably been thinking beforehand, like, where should we live? What should we do? I don't think they just start all of a sudden, like, we should make a city today. I don't have anything else to do. Uh, Let's make a city. And... um, so what they do is they start a project that's largely driven by their arrogance and their insecurity, by their self-promotion and their self-protection. So in verse 4 we read them saying, uh, come, let's build a city. Let's build ourselves a city. I think that means we're trying to keep some people out. You shouldn't imagine that all of humanity, everyone's trying to live there. That's, that's silly. I think what they're saying is, let's build us a city and keep some people out. Let's build ourselves a city, you know, with walls and things to keep people out. And, um, and uh, as we do so, let's do it knowing that we're going to make a name for ourselves. Uh, that's self-promotion. We're going to build a city in a tower so impressive that will last for so many generations, that will be so impressive in its scope and its beauty, that people will say, man, those people are amazing. We live in little huts. They have this great city. They're amazing people. Their, uh, their ambition is driven by self-promotion, their arrogance, their desire for glory. They, they say, let's build a tower whose top is in the heavens. Uh, that's pretty ambitious. When I was a kid, I, uh, uh, like lots of naive children, I uh, would get bored on a Sunday afternoon and think, because I grew up in the rural south, I didn't have anything to do. I had no neighbors. I'm like, I'm really bored. I should build a pool. So I would start digging a hole in the backyard. Never made a pool. I tried really hard. Red soil is really hard, so I wouldn't get very far. So I would give that up and say, I've heard of amusement parks. I'm like five or six at this time, not 13 or 14, by the way. Uh, so maybe I'll make an amusement park. Because amusement parks sound like fun, but I've never been to one. So I try to build an amusement park. Like, I'm going to build a roller coaster. I've never even seen a roller coaster. Really ambitious, okay? I'm going to be the only kid in my neighborhood with a roller coaster. <laughs> so I steal all my dad's wood and tools and nails and lose them all. And uh, very ambitious and make a name for myself. Maybe then I have some people in the neighborhood that actually play with me. Uh, it never went anywhere. Well, it went somewhere, but it didn't go and actually make any of those things. Well, these folks are somewhat similar. They are really ambitious in their plans. They want to make a name for themselves. It's not just their glory they're after. It's after their protection. You read that in verse 4 as well at the end. Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the holy earth. You know what these people are? They're afraid. They're insecure. They are. They're afraid of something. I don't know if they're afraid of God or they're afraid of other people. But they're afraid enough to say, we're not safe the way we live, so let's build a city with walls so we'll be safe, so we can't be moved. So they're driven by their arrogance and their insecurity, their self-promotion and their self-protection to do this giant building project. Now, uh, what happens is this thing's a colossal comic failure for lots of reasons. Uh, First of all, it's a comic failure in the same reason that my uh, grand plans for building an amusement park were. I mean, if I had succeeded, it would have been a bunch of like flimsy two-by-fours and nails sticking out and maybe like a red broken wagon. And I'd call that my, uh, you know, my roller coaster. 
and everybody would say, that's the lamest tetanus-filled roller coaster we've ever seen. And uh, in the same way, these guys are building a city that will build them a great name whose tower touches the heavens, and uh, any experienced city builder will come along and say, hey, buddy, uh, you're going to build a city, you need stones. You don't have stones, you've got bricks. That's not the best way to build a city. You don't even have mortar or concrete. You're using tar. Like, this is like cut rate, bottom, barely fits code building. This isn't going to last like 20 years. Like, you got, this is just cheap. This is cheap, guys. This is a mobile home of a city. I don't know what you think you're doing. This is a mobile home village. This is not a city that's going to make a reputation for you. So it's a comic failure. They're going to build a tower that reaches the heavens in verse 5, makes a point of saying, God has to come down. The text is making it clear. God's like, well, you didn't quite reach me. I guess I've got to come down and take a look. It says more about their arrogance than about God being uh, mean or ironic. Um, and I, I think uh, we have all kinds of instances in our own lives, like me as a kid, where we had these grand ambitions. But sometimes what happens is we'll break something and think we can fix it. It's ever happened to you? Something valuable, something important, something's broken, and you think, I can fix it. And you know you should call someone, or maybe someone's on the way, but you think, I can do it. You're overconfident or you're impatient. Probably your laptop. Probably half of you screwed up your laptop trying to fix it yourself. And, um, right? Uh, that's a guilty laugh. And, um, and so you do something dumb and you make it worse. Um, so flip the page, if whoever's got the thing. Uh, a, a pretty well known recent example, again, to the, the picture. Um, this happened recently. Slide. Who has the slide? Anybody have the slide? Nope. Keep going to the picture. That one. Yes. So this happened about a year ago. Um, an unfortunate do-it-yourself project in Spain. A really well-intentioned little old lady in her 80s uh, was visiting her local church, it sounds like, in, uh, where was it? Somewhere at Borja, Spain. Borja, Spain. I assume it's Borja, Spain. Uh, and there was this uh, really special, beautiful 19th century uh, painting by uh, a Mr. Garcia Martinez. And uh, she didn't like how it was messed up on the left, so she basically started trying to repair it herself. And uh, I can imagine her, her repair started off really small, like, I'll just do this and that. But like anyone who's ever tried to fix something, it, you lose momentum downhill quickly. And you realize, like, I'm making it worse. But you, instead of stopping and calling for help, you just keep going, right? You've done this, right? And before you know it, or she knew it, she had that. Um, she, she, she did what she was supposed to do. She turned herself in. She apologized. Um, it was a colossal loss. It, it, it's really funny because it looks terrible. Uh, in, fact, in fact, flip it to the next one. So uh, one person described it as though the scream had mated with a spider monkey. You put the scream together with a spider monkey, and you go back, and you have that. <laughs> and I think they're right. That's exactly what it looks like. So uh, it's really comical, it's, but it's also really sad. Like, it's really hard to bring the beauty of that original thing back. And that's what's happened here. These folks are trying to actually make their lives better. They really are. They're making this building project to improve their lives. And it's actually going to make things worse. Why did they build the city? To make a name for themselves. They got a name. You know what it is? What's their name? 
Babel. The name is Babel, which means confusion. Is that the name you wanted, Mr. Confusion? No. They built the city Wad to protect themselves, lest we be scattered. What happens? God comes down and confuses them, in verse 9, disperses them across the face of the earth. I mean, they are completely and utterly forever scattered. They make things worse. It's a comic, but real, true failure. Uh, and it, it ends in this question. Uh, so in verse 9, God disperses them across the face of the earth. And, uh, you know, God, the people were supposed to move out and fill the earth on their own. That was good. Being exiled and dispersed is not good. And it happens a lot, actually, in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. If you were to sit down and read 1 through 11 in a row, you would see this story being repeated. That... Uh, Someone does something. You know, Adam or Eve break God's rule in the garden, and God comes in and uh, punishes them, issues a curse. And uh, they're exiled out of the garden. But then he gives them grace. He makes a promise that he'll send a son at some point to, to, to destroy evil and fix things, which he does. So a chapter later... Uh, the first son murders someone else. Well, the second son murders the first son. Uh, there's murder almost immediately. And uh, it happens again. There's sin, and God comes in and exiles him. He tells him, you're going to be a nomad for the rest of your life. And uh, he's sent out into exile. He's scattered again. But he's given a mark. He's graced by God. He's given a mark that protects him. Chapter 6, things are so bad, the world's so violent, God says, it's time to start all over. I'm going to destroy almost everything. And so he destroys almost everything. And at the end of it, after everything has been so scattered and it doesn't exist anymore, he makes a promise. He's gracious. He promises to never do it again. This pattern is repeated over and over. Till now. So here, people do something really stupid. They're sinful. They're really ambitious. They want to be like God. God comes down, scatters them, and where's the grace? Verse 9? It's no grace. Right? I mean, by now, if you're reading the story, like I've just told you, you should be saying, all right, God, come on, do your thing now. We screwed up. I'm sorry. Or Arrested Development had this pretty well, if you ever watched that show. I've made a huge mistake. That happens over and over. I say it all the time in the show. I made a huge mistake. And uh, one time a guy says, I made a huge mistake. And uh, the reply was, well, you're going to have to pay the consequences. He's like, wait, that's not the way it works. Something along those lines. And that's, that's what's happening here. We're waiting for God to be gracious, and God doesn't do anything. It raises this really important question right here. Is God done? Is God done? At this point, it's been a couple hundred years, a couple thousand years of mankind basically thumbing their nose and doing whatever the heck they want, not getting on board with Him, and uh, not loving Him, and not loving each other, and destroying each other. Over and over and over. Am I done? So, you know, at this point, uh, we could just quit, or we could cue story two. And cue could, story two goes pretty quickly and pretty surprisingly. Uh, what happens is we have this description in verse 10 of a basic genealogy. It's a really exciting story. You don't have it there, but it's the line of Shem. Shem, uh, his name sounds in Hebrew a lot like name. His name sounds like name. It'd be like being named name. Nice to meet you, name. Um, which is pretty ironic because they're trying to make a name for themselves. 
All of chapter 11 is basically Moses telling us about Shem's family. He had a son, that dude died. He had a son, that guy had some sons, and he died. Until we get to verse 27. And here it seems like the story is coming to a rapid conclusion, because there ain't many left. Got a couple boys, but one died. And then there's one got a wife, but she can't have babies. And there's one guy, Lot, but he's not the best dude. And this thing is petering out at the end. There's like nothing left on this train. And it's here, right here, in the most unlikely of places, that story number two starts. Story number two, pretty quickly, runs like this. Almost the upside-down version of the Human Glory Project. God's gracious plan begins with one man. One man, a guy named Abram. Living out in the middle of absolute nowhere. An old man with no kids, who's a nomad homeless, who... Uh, quite possibly doesn't know Yahweh the Lord at all. And he just lost his dad, it seems. It begins with one man and God's word to him in verse 1, chapter 12. Go. What? Go. Uh, so you have one man who's supposed to go. And that means leaving. He has to leave his land. This is increasingly more intimate if you look at verse 1. You've got to leave your land and your kindred and your house. And you've got to leave. You've got to get up and go. Alright, I've got to go. Go away. Where do you want me to go? I'll tell you. Go to the land. I'll show you. Okay, going to the land I'll show you means a couple things. If I told you that right now, let's go. Where am I going? We're going to the land I show you. That means two things. One, you've got to trust me. Right? Two, I'm going with you. So God basically here is proposing a relationship. I'm going to tell you where we're going when it's time, and you've got to trust me. And this is the exact opposite of what the people in the Bible did. Here, we have faithful obedience. Go, Abraham. Where? Wherever I tell you. Okay. Faithful obedience. As opposed to fearful opposition of what God wanted Fearful self-protection, which is what we had in Babel. Abraham goes, trusting the Lord. The plan is that Abraham go, and as he goes, God's going to bless him. He is going to bless him in verse 2. I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a great name. Uh, you got no kids. you got no family. I'm going to make you a great nation. That means you'll have a bunch of people. There'll be a lot of you. You're going to be an impressive nation. And I'm going to give you a great name. You're not even asking for that. It wasn't even part of the original package. Those guys in Babel wanted it. Tell you what, I'll give it to you. Not so you can feel good about yourself, Abraham. So that, the text says. See this in verse 2? I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. This is God's plan. I'm going to call one man and send him, and I'm going to go with you and make you a blessing, Abraham, so that you can bless the whole world. You will become a blessing to everyone. This is God's plan in a nutshell. One man who goes, who becomes a blessing, who becomes a blessing to everyone. That's it. That's the plan. That is the plan for the whole Bible. That is the Bible in a nutshell. God's plan how to fix everything. I'm serious. You're saying, what about Jesus? That's part of the plan. Abraham is... The gospel in a nutshell, in a, in an oak, uh, you know, we all those things, an acorn. And as we go through the story, it's been a long time, man. I've been in the city. I forgot what the acorn was. 
I grew up <laughs> shooting acorns at people with slingshots. Now I can't even think of the name of it. Um, so um, it's an acorn form. And by the time we get to the New Testament, this thing has blossomed. And it's clear that Jesus is the trunk of the tree. He's the very heart of all that God wants. He is the man, but we're not there yet. But here's the plan. To take one man and bless him and make the people that come around him a blessing to the world. That's the plan for Abraham and Israel. That's the plan for Jesus and his church. And if you're a Christian, that's the plan for you. This is a little hard for us. Uh, And that's the only plan, by the way. It's plan A, B, and C for the whole Bible forever. That's how God plans to fix the world. One man, Jesus, and his community, his people. Um, It's hard for us because we want, one, our own glory. The first story. And uh, we have fear issues and faith issues. I'm not sure I can trust you, God, so I'm going to do my own thing. Watch out for myself. Because I'm not sure I can go like you're telling me to go. And trust you like you're, you're calling me to. I'm not sure I can do it, so I'm going to watch out for myself. Uh, it's also hard for us. We'll talk about a lot more about those things as we go along. As we talk about the man himself. As it becomes clearer in the Bible who he is. But we can talk about community right now. And I'm going to do it for one minute. God's plan is to make a community, the church, a blessing to the world. And uh, that's hard, because we all want community. We really do, almost all of us, even me. I'm a misanthrope. I don't like people. I do, but I don't. Y'all who know me really well, you know what I mean. And y'all who don't know me, we'll talk about it. Um, I really do want to talk to you, even though I just told you I'm a misanthrope. Um, But we all want community on our own terms. We really do. We want it on our own terms for the most part. And uh, that means a lot of times you'll walk into a community or a church, and whatever the case might be, and you immediately start thinking, they're too messy. I'm too cool. This is too hard. I don't want to be vulnerable with these people. And you have all these things, all these conditions, because you want community on your own terms. And we're too busy self-protecting and self-promoting to really be known by others and to enjoy others. But that's what you're supposed to do. And It's going to be really hard for you to be a blessing to the whole world, which is what you're called to do if you're a Christian, if you won't do it in community. His plan is for you to be a part of a community, to be a blessing together to the whole world. And that's actually better than your story. Uh, The story of the world that you live in today, this is real quick, it's not the Bible. And for some of you that have grown up in the church, you've actually sort of co-opted another story. We'll talk about this more throughout the semester. I call it... I don't call it. Smarter people than me call it moral therapeutic deism. I'll describe that in one second. Moral therapeutic deism is this. God created the world. And he cares about the world. And he created you. And he wants you to be happy. So to be happy, you should protect yourself and promote yourself and do whatever it is to make you happy. And God won't mess with you unless you really need him. And then he'll bail you out. That's what most people think Christianity is. And that's not Christianity. That's moral therapeutic deism. That is actually something like the story of Babel. And uh, I want to tell you that the Bible offers a story that's much better. It's a story that's much better. It's a God who wants to restore his broken world. And he does it by bringing people to his man and blessing them. And changing them. And setting them free from their fear and insecurity. And making them beautiful. Making them a blessing to other people. So that we can be a blessing to the world. Alright, I'm going to pray. 
Father, I thank you for these students. I thank you for uh, their keen attention. Uh, it's, a, it's a long day. They've listened to a lot of people talk today. People that are better talkers and thinkers than I am.